Good morning. We're going to be in Matthew 24 this morning. Matthew 24. We've been working our way through the book of Matthew, and we've arrived at uh, this text in Matthew 24, and we'll be studying uh, this morning. Uh, a few weeks ago, we... This clicker has been acting up on me. I don't know if it's dying a battery or what. But... All right. Uh, a few weeks ago, sorry, we, uh, we started studying Matthew 24, uh, and we, we worked our way through uh, to verse 31 and talked about that. And, and even before that, we kind of set it up by looking at the question, uh, questions that Jesus was asked. So to start off, let's, let's go back and, and see the questions that were being asked of Jesus that led to this lengthy sermon, really is what it was, uh, to his disciples. Uh, you go back to verse 3 of Matthew 24. It says, He sat on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. Uh, as you read through uh, Matthew 24, you might get the feeling or the sense uh, that this is about the end of the world. Uh, at some point, as you go through the chapter, that, that may be where you end up, that you start to think, okay, this is certainly, at this point, he's talking about the end of the world. Uh, but to set up the entire chapter, we have the very first two verses where Jesus says the temple is going to be destroyed, and then you have a response of the disciples asking a question, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And if you read the King James Version, it doesn't say the end of the age. It says the end of the world. So that, obviously, everything in this is about the end of the world. But uh, it's actually not a good translation. It's the end of the age, the end of the era. Uh, the time when the temple will be destroyed is going to be the end of the era. So as we look at Matthew 24... We, we need to understand that the setup for the whole sermon of what Jesus is going to say is based on the questions that the disciples ask when. When? When are all these things going to take place? It, it's, it's been a little while, but every now and then we get somebody who tells us it's about to be the end of the world. Um, so... We have to figure out, you know, is this, is this it? You know, is this the end of the world? We've got pestilence, right? We've got uh, a, a disease that's going throughout the world right now. We've got all kinds of uh, wars maybe spooling up or something along those lines, and we just kind of wonder, is this going to be the end? You know, is this, every, is this, is this the end of the world? When, when are we going to hear somebody spout out, I've made all the calculations, it's the end of the world, it's about to happen. And they might go to Matthew 24 to get the answer. This is it. It's the end of the world. Matthew 24 is not about that. It's not about that. It doesn't talk about the end of the world. It's all about the end of Jerusalem, the end of the Jewish nation that had been formed. And as we've gone through, we've, we've been able to see that all the way through verse 31, that there's this uh, explanation to his disciples that there's going to be a number of things that happen. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be famines. There's going to be pestilence. All these different kinds of things are going to happen, but it's not the end. And then he says, when you see the abomination of desolation, that's when you'll know. 
He says there's going to be false Christs that come and proclaim that they're the Christ, they're the Messiah, but that's not the end. That's not it. But whenever I come, it'll be apparent, like lightning in the sky and like uh, a vultures circling a corpse. That's when you'll know that I'm about to come. And in 29 through 31, we saw some apocalyptic language. Now, everybody looks at that and they say, whoa, apocalyptic, apocalypse, you know, this is the end of the world. Not necessarily. (laughs) Apocalyptic language is used throughout the Old Testament to say this is the end of a nation. Uh, It was talked about, it was used to talk about the destruction of different kingdoms, Egypt, uh, Babylon, Jerusalem, All kinds of different nations were talked about as being destroyed using apocalyptic language. Apocalyptic language is using signs and and symbols to signify an event, a catastrophe often, uh, but not always. So this has a lot to do with the destruction of Jerusalem. But we can draw application from it for ourselves, and I hope to do that as we work our way through the last part of chapter 24, I hope that we can move into a discussion about how this applies to us. And as we get to this last part, uh, you will see maybe a text that you've always believed is talking about the end of the world. And maybe you want to still believe that after I've provided all the reasons why I don't think that's the case. And that's fine. Uh, You don't have to fully agree with me on everything. But um, regardless, there is a judgment day coming. Uh, and, and in this case, a judgment day coming on Jerusalem. In our case, there's a judgment day coming as well. And we need to be ready for it. Let's dive into our text. Beginning of verse 32, it says, Jesus is continuing his thought. It's the same as, as he's been talking about. He says, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves... You know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. The first words from Jesus that we're going to study this morning are continuing from what he said before, but he brings up the fig tree. And he says, learn its lesson. Learn this lesson from the fig tree. Now, That's kind of interesting because he actually brought up a fig tree earlier. Before he came into Jerusalem, he went out to a fig tree that had no fruit on it. It looked like it would have fruit, had no fruit on it. And it symbolized that Jerusalem was empty and devoid. There was no fruit in it. Uh, And it it was deserving of judgment. But now he says, from the fig tree, learn its lessons. And he says, he says that because he wants them to learn to tell the times and the seasons. Learn to tell when it is the time for this judgment. They asked him, when will these things be? And he says, when you see all these things, you will know that he is near. He's giving them an indication. When will these things be? Well, when this fruit is about to come. You know, there's, there's a... a an understanding, if you have fig trees used throughout the Bible, that whenever they start to have leaves come out, the fruit is about to come. 
And throughout the Old Testament, figs are talked about in a positive way, and, and figs are talked about in a not-so-good way. There's, there's sour, rotten figs uh, that, that Israel is called. And so this is a, a, a way of saying that all those signs that I just mentioned in verses 4 through 31 will tell the disciples that Jerusalem is ripe for judgment. It's about to take place. And he says, he is near at the very gates. When you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Now, who is he? He's talked about himself, the Son of Man coming in judgment. And so a picture of Jesus is near for judgment. Okay. Notice what he says next. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. He says it's going to happen in this generation. The judgment is about to happen. It, 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 is, it is almost here. This generation will not leave the earth. This generation is probably referring to himself and those who were in his age in the 30s uh, who, who will see this judgment come. The Son of Man will come and he will bring lights out to the nation of Israel. He says it's close enough that some of you will see it. You go back to Matthew chapter 16. You see this exact same language being used about the same topic. Uh, verse 27, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Some won't taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. One of the things that often confuses people is, uh, as they're looking at Matthew 24, is every time they see the Son of Man coming or Jesus coming or Jesus' return, they think second coming. They think the end of time. What we read about uh, in the scripture reading, 1 Thessalonians 4, a picture of Jesus coming with the clouds in final judgment and the dead in Christ rising and going to be with him and us who are alive in Christ going up to be with him as well. And that didn't happen in that generation. That didn't happen uh, during the time that some of those li lived. So as he says all of this, you, you get the context of what he's talking about. I think that's very important to understand Matthew 24. He's talking about judgment that will come upon Jerusalem and Judah in their generation. Guess what? Forty years later, you know, a 30-year-old would have been about 70 at that time, Jerusalem is destroyed and the temple is destroyed. So what he says would happen, happens, just as he said it. And what's interesting in verse 35, he says... Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. A lot of times people see that, and they're like, heaven and earth will pass away. That's talking about the end of time, right? But that's not what he's trying to say, is it? I mean, you've got to connect the words, but my words will not pass away. 
That's what he says. So he's connecting heaven and earth will pass away with my words will not pass away. I've said there will be judgment and there will be judgment. In other words, my word is firm. My word will not pass away. My word will not be wrong. It will be true. He doesn't switch topics. He's using heaven and earth passing away as a figure of speech, a way of understanding that his word is not like heaven and earth. It's very fascinating. He uses this phrase, heaven and earth will pass away, another time back in Matthew chapter 5. In that case, he, he talks about not an iota, not a dot of the law will pass away, uh, but, but, my, but, the, the, uh, but the heavens and earth will pass away, but my words, the, the laws will not pass away. So Jesus' words are being t- spoken to us as firm, true, undefeated. They cannot be overthrown. They will happen. What he says will happen will happen. There is no doubt about it. But a lot of people take the fact that he says heaven and earth will pass away as, okay, here's where he starts talking about the end of the world. And then it's added to. Notice verse 36 through 41. He says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the Son of Man, the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. So when will these things be? He says concerning that day and hour, no one knows. No one knows the day and the hour when these things will be. Uh, He says people will not expect it. It will be like in the days of Noah, uh, that, that this will all of a sudden come upon them. And listen to this interesting detail. As they were, as, as Noah and his family were entering the ark, people were partying and marrying and giving in marriage. They thought it was all just going to continue on forever. And then, bam, the flood happened. Now again, people see the Noah and the flood, and they think, into the world. And I understand it. And I'm, if you want to believe that, that's fine. But... I think in this context, what he's been talking about is him coming in judgment on Jerusalem, and he's using Noah and the flood to say it's going to be like that. It's going to be all of a sudden when Jesus comes in judgment. It's not going to be something that you, you see coming or that you're, you're aware of. All of a sudden, the Roman armies are going to surround Jerusalem, just like the Babylonian armies came up against Jerusalem before, and there's going to be judgment against them. And he says, some will be taken and others left. It's interesting. 
what is that about? What does that mean? Um, is he talking about the Romans taking some into captivity and leaving some behind? And uh, I, don't, I don't know. Um, maybe so. Some people who think this is about the end of the world think it's about uh, God taking his to be uh, enraptured, right? The rapture in the Left Behind series that you, you read about or watch a movie about comes from this text. And they think, well, God's going to leave some people behind on earth and he's going to give them a second chance. <laughs> That's not really the picture here. Uh, this is all about judgment and talking about that there will be a judgment that comes upon the earth. And the fact that some are left tells us it's not about the end of the world because the world will still exist if people are going to be left. But the real question that we should have in our minds is how should we respond to this information? What should we do uh, with, with this knowledge? Well, if I was a disciple in the 30s A.D., and Jesus is telling me, in your generation, there's going to come a destruction upon Jerusalem, and it's going to happen so fast that, you're not, that no one's going to be able to respond in time. I probably would be preparing uh, and making sure I'm ready and aware of, of what's happening to, to see if the fruit is ripe for judgment, to see if the, the Jewish nation is about to be destroyed, and I would believe it's going to happen because Jesus said it would. But I would try to stay awake and aware at all times. In, chapter 40, in verse 42, he says, Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour, he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see Jesus giving his disciples a warning. You better stay awake. It's interesting, they're going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane in just a little bit, and he's going to tell his disciples stay awake, and they're going to fall asleep three times. But he's talking about preparing for the day when Jesus will come in judgment. And he's telling them, you better stay awake. You want me to find you working. You want me to find you preparing for my coming with faith and a belief that I will come. Because I'm going to come at a time you don't expect. Like a thief in the night. Can you imagine uh, planning to wake up? When the thief gets here, 
Sometimes we might deceive ourselves and think, okay, I'll, I'll be fine. I'll, uh, whenever the thief gets here, then I'm going to make all of my arrangements and, and decide what I'm going to have to do to prepare for the thief that's already here. It's too late. <laughs> the thief's here. You don't have a game plan. You're not ready. You don't have anything going for, for you. It's too late. Maybe you slept through the night because you didn't have an alarm system. You don't have any way of knowing that the thief is here. It's too late. And Jesus is trying to tell his disciples, you need to be wise and you need to be faithful. Jesus is giving them a responsibility, something to do, something important for them to do in order to uh, glorify him, in order to be workers in his kingdom, in order to obtain great possessions. He's given them a responsibility, something for them to do, a role for them to fulfill. And if they fail in that role, in that responsibility, says, he says they will be judged along with the hypocrites. Back in chapter 23, he described the hypocrites as being those Pharisees and Sadducees, those horrible people who will end up persecuting his disciples. You imagine being a disciple, knowing that's coming, asking when that's going to come, and he says, no one knows the day and the hour, but you better not compromise. You better not give in to the temptation to swap sides, to join with them, because when I come, I'm going to destroy you just like I destroyed them. I'll destroy them. So a very clear picture throughout chapter 24 of Jesus coming in judgment against Jerusalem, against Judah, and destroying his people. Now, as we go forward throughout chapter 25, uh, we're going to see very similar ideas being given to the disciples. Again, I like to try to stay in context. I like to try not to apply things to myself that I might just want to apply to myself. I like to first try to apply it to them at that stage, and that's what I've tried to do throughout 24. We'll try to do the same thing throughout 25, but as we look at all of this and we see the message of this, hopefully we understand there is application to us. After we go through that process, we can start to apply it to us. So think about the message of this text. He tells us, no one knows the day or the hour that Jesus will return to judge Jerusalem. It's my understanding of the text. No one knows the day and the hour. And his disciples will need to stay wise and they will need to stay faithful in order to uh, prevent falling into the judgment. If they go into selfish living, if they start uh, beating other servants, if they start engaging in eating and drinking with drunkards and giving into the ways of the world, they love this present world instead of loving Jesus and believing he's returning. They will join in that judgment. That's the message of this text. Now, how do we apply that to ourselves? What's the message for us? This thing is killing me up here. It's, it's just not clicking. Uh, Corey, we're gonna have to, you're going to have to click through all the songs just so you know that because I will never be able to keep up with this. So what does this apply to us? 
Okay, I've said all of this stuff, and maybe you're just like, okay, boring. It's all about Jerusalem being destroyed. Why do we care? What's the big deal? Well, we have very similar statements made to us. 1 Thessalonians 4 was read earlier that tells us there's coming a day when the whole world will be judged. And those who are asleep in Christ will rise, and those who are uh, alive at that time will also rise and join and meet with them in the air. But those who are spiritually asleep, those who are not living for God, those who are not wise and faithful, they will not join Christ. But they will join those hypocrites and those evil people in the past. So if we're going to apply this to ourselves, we need to think about how easy it is for us to fall asleep spiritually. Have you ever fallen asleep spiritually? It's pretty easy, isn't it? Pretty easy to just kind of go through the motions, uh, maybe jump over to enjoying this life, enjoying the things of this life, uh, eating and drinking with drunkards, so to speak. You know, just, just uh, Jesus is delayed. Jesus is taking a little while. He's not coming right now. He's not coming today. He's not coming tomorrow. I'm just going to relax and enjoy my life a little bit. And then after a little while, I'll move on to serve him and doing what he wants me to do. It's easy to think that way, to believe that uh, I'll have time. I'll be able to work things out a little bit later on in life. And yet, those same thoughts that Jesus gives his disciples are given to us in 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 5, verse 1 of 1 Thessalonians says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When people are saying, there is peace and security then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for the helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another. And build one another up, just as you're doing. Those words are spoken to Thessalonians. They're not Jews. They're not in Jerusalem. Those words are spoken to Christians who are, who are being told that there is a day of the Lord that is coming like a thief in the night. And we are not of the dark. And we are not to be asleep in the Lord. But we are to be awake. What does it mean to be awake? It means to know Christ. It means to love Christ. And it means to live for Christ. 
Do you know him? Do you love him? Are you living for him? We have to evaluate whether these things are true. And if they're not, we're asleep. We better wake up. We might be saved in the end. But if we're awake, we know we will be saved. We have hope in the death of Jesus to be resurrected to new life. So many people uh, just don't even believe that Jesus is reigning or that he is coming back again. And we don't really like to talk about it too much because we don't want to be seen as maybe a fanatical person that, that believes in these crazy things. But Jesus makes it very clear that he is coming in judgment on Jerusalem. And, and later on, Paul makes it very clear that Jesus is coming to judge the whole world. In Second Peter, we learn all the things that we see will be burned up. And there will be a new heavens and a new earth. Something totally different from what we currently experience. Will we be a part of it? That's everything. That's all that matters. Don't get lulled asleep by the distractions of the world. Take part in the blessings that God wants to give to you. If you're here this morning and you're not enjoying those blessings, we want to help you in any way we can. Uh, if there's anything that we can do, will you please come forward and let us know. Please come as we stand and sing.